0: It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's the sports, sports Rush, rush with, with
1: Brett Rump. Rump. that's Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on
2: 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now, here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest the most interesting and most important person of all time. You are incredible! You are incredible! Well, you're half right. This, this is amateur hour. This art. is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be off my ass Just when I think you said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've, I've ever had. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome
0: to the alleged show. Y'all ready for this? Thank God it's... <laughs>
1: It's Super Bowl weekend and a Friday right here in the Summit City. And this is the Sports Rush, providing your daily local sports fix from 4 to 6 right here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Alongside Adam Lundy, I'm the coach Shannon Griffith. Sitting in for Mr. Brett Rump, who is down in Indianapolis. Getting ready and prep for the Mastodons and Jaguars on Saturday at noon. Tip, big one, uh, Adam, for the Dons in this jam-packed sports weekend. I mean, Saturday especially is going to be jam-packed because there will not be any other games on Sunday with the NFL NFL (laughs) dominating the, (laughs) the airways there. But the Dons right now... Fifteen and nine overall, six and seven in the conference. And then after Saturday, they only have six games left in the the Horizon League uh, schedule. And right now, eighth place overall. Um, Thoughts on the Dons here as they get towards the latter part of their schedule. They had the tough loss, Cleveland State, um, last weekend. And now they get the Jaguars down in Indy which none of these Horizon League games are easy games in the on the home barn when you're going on the road. No, absolutely. And Purdue Fort
3: Wayne the Dons will be looking for revenge tomorrow afternoon as IUPUI actually did come up here and get one of their uh, their few Horizon League wins this season against the Dons winning 85-79. And uh, as Brett was saying you when know, when talking about this game on the air, that's one that uh, you don't really have an excuse for because uh-huh. this is um, you know a lot of the other games that they've lost, um, they've they've had really good runs and almost uh, won the game, come back from from down a lot and uh, had some close losses to some really hot shooting teams, but uh, IUPUI was not one of those. So Don's definitely looking to get the rebound in the rubber match here, not
1: rubber match, but, but yeah. Uh, get revenge the, the the back end of the home and home series exactly and when you lose a game especially like that one it's almost if you lose twice because those are the games that you yeah, you you know you should be winning mm. uh, in this this overly com- this league is competitive i mean the basketball in this league is pretty darn good yeah and Purdue Fort Wayne has played at times some pretty darn good basketball. Absolutely,
3: and they've they've got wins over all
1: the top three teams yeah. in the Horizon League right now. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, when you play in a competitive league like this, it's hard um, to even try to get onto some type of run. Um, but you know, they had I, they beat Youngstown State, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, they've they've beaten Oakland um they've had a chance uh, like you said to compete against the top end of the bracket and get it done and they have but when you look at Wright State Cleveland State Milwaukee Northern Kentucky Purdue Fort Wayne that's 9 and 5 8 and 6 7 and 6 7 and 6 and 6 and 7 yeah. there's not much separation there between Wright State which is theoretically the fourth team in the league right and where uh, Purdue Fort Wayne sits right now and The reason why I'm making reference to all this, when it comes to the tourney, the differential between playing a home game versus a road game is going to be decided here these last six weeks. And I think the Dons have some games that they definitely can win. And Saturday is one that I think they can win down in uh, Indianapolis.
3: Absolutely. They can win that one. They also have another game against... Detroit Mercy, that's definitely one that they'll be looking and thinking of as winnable. But uh, you said it, Purdue Fort Wayne currently sitting at six and seven in the Horizon League. But they are only two and a half games back of Wright State, who does sit at that fourth place spot currently in the Horizon League. And you mentioned it, those top four spots are what What? you're really vying for. Record, you you know, it's important, but you really just want to be in that top four.
1: Well, right. You would like to have that home home, uh, game uh, in the. When the tourney starts, because mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge advantage. The crazy one about this one, I was looking at this today, and I had to double take a look at it. Detroit Mercy, O and fourteen, but they're O and twenty five. Yeah, what has happened up there? Um, because uh, not to say that they've been you know gangbusters through the year, but they've had some pretty good basketball teams throughout the years. But right now, I mean, they don't even have a win. And, you know, IUPUI has only got two wins in the league, but, you know, they got six wins overall. I just can't imagine Detroit Mercy in their year having where they just haven't won in 25 tries.
3: Yeah, it's tef- definitely been tough this season with uh, the loss of uh, Antoine Davis, that he was certainly a good yes, bit of their offense. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, just not not a good team overall. I mean, you've got three pretty good scores over 10 points a game, one at 20 points a game, but after that just not a lot of production from the Detroit Mercy Titans and they've just not been able to get a win on the year so far this season. So, definitely a not a good year for the Detroit Mercy Titans.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's I just can't it's a hard thing to overly comprehend uh 25 games and you don't have any W's on your on yeah. your, on your <laughs> the side of the equation doesn't make it uh, very good in that regard. But uh, we could care less, really, about the – I believe it's the Titans. It is I'm the Titans mistaken. of Detroit Mercy. But uh, the Dons have gotten some pretty good play out of Jackson Bellow. Mm-hmm. I like him. I think he's a pretty good ball player. And uh, they're going to have to count on these guys heading down the stretch to – To to bring their A game each and every night uh, to give them that chance to climb back up into, hopefully, maybe that fourth spot uh, prior to the end of the year. But we got Brett Rump on the call. He'll have you all primed and ready for that ball game on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, nice noon tips. You can have some Don's basketball. And And that will come on, what, 11.45 a.m. that day? Yep, pregame will be 11.45 tomorrow. Well... The last time I was in here, we had this setup, up, and I gave the Dons that extra needed bump because yeah. they got the win the very next night. So <laughs> I got a feeling that this speech that I've given right now to the Dons and Mr. Brett Rump, that they're going to get it done in Jaguar land tomorrow afternoon.
3: I like that. We got a text on the text line, 46862. They said, Sports Rush, as one of my friends say... The Dons are good enough to beat anyone in the Horizon League and bad enough to lose to anyone in the Horizon League. Mm. And I I would agree, but
1: uh, that just kind of also says just the the parity that we have in the Horizon League. That's what I would say. There's parity in this league, and and uh, and I don't think any uh, that Purdue Fort Wayne and some of the when they left uh, was at the Summit. Yes. Thought they were going to come into the Horizon and just completely dominate, but um good basketball though They're, it's a good basketball league and everything that goes hand in hand with all this um it, it's been a year that i think in some respects they would probably say disappointing at times because i think they had maybe a little uh hope of having a little better uh record at this point in terms of the conference uh but uh still plenty of time plenty of time well and look at the uh, the girls and what they've done this year. Oh the yeah. The Lady Don's 15 and 9 overall, 8 and 5 in the conference. Um, they got another uh game on hand tomorrow as well.
3: Yep, they'll be taking on Wright State at 4 yeah.
1: o'clock p.m. And they'll, they're up at Wright or oh down at Wright. They're State. in Dayton. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and out to ESPN Plus for those that would like to catch the. The Dons and...
3: But you said it, yeah, Maria Marcasano, since coming into the, the women's program there at Purdue-Fort Wayne, she's really turned it around, made them one of the respectable teams on the women's side in the Horizon League. Well, first
1: of all, she's a winner. Absolutely. I worked with Maria at Manchester, and we would talk and about different things in life, philosophical things. Hey. She always called me grumpy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Maria, my nickname with her was Grumpy. But uh ton of respect for what she's done in her coaching career early. Husband's doing well at Bishop Lures. And we'll have that game tonight versus the Snyder Panthers with John Nolan yeah. making the call. And then the post game
3: at the Pizza Hut better believe it parkview sports medicine high school basketball post game show live at the southgate pizza hut tonight with me eric dukevich and then john will be hopping over once he's done over at bishop Bluers. a little bit of a roster move here for the fort wayne Comets. i'm going to get your thoughts Uh on before we go to break you're not going to like it matthew wedman is getting another shot in the ahl this time with the wranglers of calgary wow
1: well he had a pretty good showing with the henderson knights um He had a couple goals and an assist, and he's an AHL player through much of his career, but the wrong time for the Comets to be losing a guy like that because he's second in scoring. But as they say, that is what the ECHL is, an opportunity for guys to move up to the AHL and give Matt congrats, but hopefully comes back quickly and doesn't. (laughs) stay up in Calgary a little too long. (laughs) Well, hey, we're going to come back after this. We're going to talk to Dylan Sin from the Journal-Gazette a little bit of this IU-Purdue matchup on Saturday. I'm sure some will say they have no prayer. That being the Hoosiers. Stay tuned. Right here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Beautiful Friday afternoon Blue skies, little sun, 60 plus degree weather. But we've got another big game on Sat. Well, I guess it, many people wish it was a big game on Saturday between Purdue and Indiana, uh, and many would like for it to be for that top st- spot in the Big Ten. But unfortunately, that is not the case. Now Indiana comes off a pretty decent win, coming from 12 down 12 at the half to beat Ohio State 76-73. Purdue beat Indiana in Bloomington back in January, 87-66. Really was not even close for the better part of that game. And Indiana's season has just been, been marred in inconsistency. In some respects, some, you know, disturbing things when it comes to flagrant fouls and everything and then purdue has just been dominating sitting at 21 and 2 but to help us dissect this whole thing there's no one better than the general gazettes mr dylan sin dylan how are we doing on this beautiful friday afternoon
2: i'm great i'm great thank you for having me on shannon it should be uh, it should be a lot of fun
1: well, we normally have our time when I'm doing my podcast, the Hoosier Football Tailgate, covering all things Indiana football. But right now, it's basketball. And IU season, right now, has been completely disjointed for pretty much the year. I mean, I don't know of any high point you can really point to. Um, Mike Woodson is becoming more and more under, the, <laughs> under pressure. And uh I'm saying he's safe right now. I don't think Indiana's gonna make a change with all the other buyouts that they got going on. Thoughts on Indiana to this point because I think most people came into this year with a little better outlook than what they're getting.
2: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the they have not reached the expectations people had for them before the season. I do think injuries have played a significant role in that. Like you talked about being disjointed and you're right about that. And part of that is because they haven't had their full-on starting lineup for more than, what, six or seven games a full year. Um, and this, this was always a team that was going to take a little bit to gel. And the injuries and really prevented them from gelling the way you would like. There are still there are good players on this team, to be clear. When they, and there have been a few spurts this season where they put it all together and it's like, okay, okay, you can see the vision with this team. You can see where they want to go, where they could go if they could ever get healthy. At this point, it seems like they might just never reach that. Um, you saw it in that, that last 15 minutes against Ohio State. You saw it um, in the game against Kansas for the for the, the better part of that game. Heck, you even saw it in the first eight minutes of the second half, half against Purdue, where you take, what, a 17-18 point Purdue lead, and you cut it down to seven, and the assembly hall is roaring, and you feel like you're back in the game against one of the best teams in the country now. Purdue eventually got it going again and pulled away, but there was you could see the vision there for at least a little while, and that's what Indiana's been chasing the whole
1: year. Well, one of the big things that Indiana's chasing all year is poor starts in the first half. I mean, they're being outscored in all their games by about 32 points, if my math is correct in that regard, uh, 822 to 854. You cannot have much success when you're behind the eight ball because you're having bad starts in the first half. And some of this goes right to their statistics when you look at it. Indiana right now uh, from the three is about 33%, which is not, not great, of course. Um, but the other thing that surprises me is from the foul line. They are a 66% shooting team from the foul line. <laughs> I don't necessarily think I've seen that bad from Indiana. Can you recall them being any worse than they are right now from the foul line?
2: I'd have to look up the step. I mean, I know they have they have had teams over the years, and especially in the last decade or so, that have really struggled at the foul line in a way that's kind of kind of shocking, quite frankly. Like, I mean, most of Archie Miller's teams are really poor at the foul line. Mike Woodson has had at least two teams now that have struggled at the foul line, and the thing is, it's not the big guys, really. Mm-hmm. Malik Renew could be better at the foul line. Khalil Ware is pretty good. For a lot of the season, Trey Galloway was under 50% at the yeah. foul line. He's gotten better recently, but for a lot of the season, under 50%. Uh, Anthony Aalil, who we all believe is a good player and, and deserves more playing time, was one for one for four at the line against Ohio State the other night before making those two in the last minute there. So. It's not the guys you would expect, which makes it kind of
1: frustrating. Yeah. Then you flip the switch and you look at Purdue and you look at them and you say, what is their weakness? Because right now I don't see anything other than them playing at Northwestern. They need to cancel the game at Northwestern every year because it seems like the Wildcats do pretty good against Purdue up there. But right now, I mean, uh, Purdue's got it going on all cylinders and they're getting – uh, a pretty good scoring uh, from all around.
2: Yeah, that, absolutely. They are. I believe they're the best team in the country right now. It's, it's either it's them or UConn is one A and one B. And I, I think that Houston is kind of the third team there, that's a little further down. But it's they're really, really good. Last year, what they had was Zach Edie being dominant, and then a bunch of guys around him who could theoretically shoot, but weren't making shots. And this year, a lot of those guys who couldn't, who were struggling last year, are making shots now. It's, it's worth it to say that this was right around, around the time last year where Purdue basically stopped making shots. They were 22 and one last season, and then they kind of fell apart down the stretch. In part because they stopped being able to make open threes, they just really struggled on that end for the rest of the season because some of their guys got tired. Fletcher Lawyer was hurt. Braden Smith kind of hit a freshman wall. It was a bunch of things that kind of added up. And so you wonder, is there going to be a similar wall this year? Now, these guys should be in better shape. I think having Lance Jones as a veteran who's been through things, I think that helps. But that's kind of the only question for Purdue is, can they sustain this output of three-point shooting down the stretch of the season? Because if they can, it's really hard to stop that offense because you have Edie dominating down low and then, what, six or seven guys? Mm-hmm. They can help yeah.
1: Well, you got Lance Jones. Of course, you mentioned Fletcher. Braden Smith, another one. Then Caleb First has played his minim, uh, meaningful minutes. These are two, uh, Caleb being a Fort Wayne native as well as Fletcher. Um, pretty solid when you look at their bench as well. You know, those guys that are six seven coming off the bench, have done quite well for the boil, Boilermakers this year. Uh, right now, statistically, foul line, they're about 72%. They got 11 Uh, 11.1 rebound advantage over their opponents. And they're about 50% shooting from the field. And, man, oh, man, that's a pretty darn good basketball team there. And you talked about Edie and his ability down low. Um, I mean, what is IU going to have to do on Saturday uh, to give themselves a chance, keeping it close, giving themselves a chance in that second half in front of a hostile crowd, right there in uh, West Lafayette.
2: Yeah, I mean they're going to have to do what they because if you'll remember last time when they when these teams played, it was close for the first eight, nine, ten minutes. It was a good game. IU actually had the lead for most of that time. And what happened then was that Mackenzie and Baco and Khalil Ware both picked up two fouls and they went to the bench. And Mike Woodson didn't put them back in until about three minutes left in the first half. And by then it was too late. Purdue had opened the lead. And it was kind of over. And so I think what IU needs to do more than anything else is do everything it can to avoid foul trouble. I think there's really no way around that. It. It's easier said than done, right? Like, they, Zach Eadie draws a ton of fouls. He, he's so big and so wide and so strong that it's, almost, it's really hard not to foul him. But you have to avoid foul trouble if you're IU. And I, especially Khalil especially McKenzie and Bonko, because those are the two guys that have Matchup advantages against Purdue. McK- Purdue doesn't really have anyone that can guard Mackenzie and Baco one on one. I like, in my opinion, Mason, Mason Gillis is the best one they have, but I don't think even he has the kind of athleticism and length to guard Mbaco beyond the three point line the way you'd like. like. Same with Khalil Ware. Khalil Ware can kind of drag Zach Eady away from the rim if he's in the game. I like, but that was, and he mm-hmm. wasn't Purdue the first time. So that's going to be the key is staying out of foul trouble and seeing what happens from there.
1: Well, you look at trying to defend Purdue. You say, okay, get in a zone, get weak side help on Edie when the ball's away from, you know, that side of the, the court. But then you open yourself to the three-point shot that these guys can nail from the outside. So it's kind of a double-edged sword on what you're going to do. Do you play zone and give them those shots from the outside and so you can give uh, help on Edie? Or do you go man-to-man and risk the foul problems because they're going to try to kick it into him in any type of man-on-man type of situations so (laughs) i'm not solving anything here of course i may be pointing out the obvious but i'm not even sure how to defend purdue
0: yeah i mean
2: that's the thing is that like teams have done basically every different defense you can try against purdue and they've pretty much figured all of it out now what, what you can try is really fronting Zach Eady a little bit and making them go over the top. There have been a few times this you has know, tried to go inside and throw the ball away a little bit. You can really throw some pressure at the guards and try to fire out on those ball screens, get Khalil Ware at his long arms, waving them in a brace. But then you're really opening up the backside of your defense. And, and then Braden Smith has shown an ability this year to handle that kind of pressure. that that he didn't have last year. That's one of the big things for Purdue this year is you can't pressure them nearly as easily as you could last year because Braden Smith is just a more poised basketball player as a sophomore. So, no, there are no good answers. It's a question of which is the least bad answers because that's the thing is IU has some ways to score the ball on offense. Purdue's defense is good. It's not the kind of all-world unit the offense is. So if you're Indiana, you want to – survive on defense and then and exploit the matchups on offense and see if you can outscore them, in my opinion. That's gotta be the way that IU wins
1: this game. Well good conversation as always there, Dylan and Breakdown, and appreciate you coming here uh, this afternoon to give us your insights on Indiana and Purdue uh tomorrow afternoon down in West Lafayette. Have a great weekend. Dylan, Absolutely. and we'll catch you later. Absolutely.
0: Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate it.
1: That was Dylan Sin joining us from the Journal-Gazette. We're going to step aside. We'll be right back here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Good after Friday noon here in the Summit City. Remember tonight, high school basketball. Snyder at Bishop Lures. John Nolan on the call. Post-game is at the Southgate Pizza Hut, and that'll be about 9.15-ish. And then, of course, listen to Indiana Sports Talk right after that around 10.30 tonight. So a big night here in the Summit City, and no better way to finish up the sports rush than talking a little bit of Indiana Pacer basketball. Trade deadline yesterday, they made a big deal. Buddy Healds to the Sixers for uh, Marcus Morris. And some other things that we're going to discuss because there was a multitude of <laughs> of guys going here and there and cash being exchanged. But no better uh, to talk about this from the Fieldhouse Files, Mr. Scott Agnes. Uh, Scott, good afternoon and welcome to the Sports Rush.
0: Hey, I appreciate that. Good afternoon, Jenna.
1: <laughs> well, dissect this trade yesterday because i mean okay. it was a multitude not a multitude yeah, that's me speaking of body, bodies going everywhere but you know here some money being exchanged and so forth and so on pacers did trade buddy to the sixers um but why don't you kind of dissect that because i was a little i guess a little caught off guard by that move considering last year with miles turner and all the up a blue about Tim trading them and then they just kind of stuck with it and did nothing but talk a little bit about this trade the pacers made
0: sure yeah there's no doubt this is a kind of a multi-layered trade is kind of the way i've been putting it here and first really even before yesterday let's go back three weeks that was the primary move and that was acquiring a foundational piece alongside tyree Taliburton and pascal siakam why did toronto do that deal they did that because he's in the final year of his contract in the raptors and Pascal, uh, that was basically a divorce. They were headed that way. Uh, They hadn't talked in recent months, and it was very clear that they were going to separate at the end of the season. Well, very similar, not to that extent, but it was clear that Buddy's role has deteriorated. He'd moved out of the starting lineup for the last three games. His minutes were down from last season. His shots were down from last season. He wanted a greater contract than the Pacers were willing to offer him uh, in the fall when they had talks. In late September, they never really went anywhere, Shannon, because Buddy uh, knows this is probably his last sweet contract of his career, um, and he wants to maximize it, as any player or person really would, as he's 31 years old, uh, a little older than the current timeline. And so he kind of made clear if there's a deal out there that would put him with the playoff team in a greater role, he would be open to it. So the Pacers front office canvassed the, the league, talked with almost every team I heard, over the last couple of weeks, leading in through the trade deadline. Philly knew for over a month, like many, that Buddy was available. Um, and with Joel being out, this is a team that does not shoot many threes. They attempt the fourth fewest in the league. So adding Buddy helps in that department. And to go back to that multi-layered part of the deal, uh, a lot of that was just kind of the logistics to get it done. For Conkorkmaz, for another piece of that, the Pacers officially waived him today. Uh, they also got a couple additional draft picks. They shuffled the deck a little bit, sent one off to make it work with uh, the Golden State Warriors and a deal that was strictly for the Warriors in, the, uh, in terms of for them to lessen their tax bill. Yes, the Pacers received Corey Joseph, but they were not after Corey Joseph. That was a deal from a business perspective, and in doing so, they made some cash, which uh, is sweet for the ownership group here. Um, but outside of that, the Pacers, in the big picture... Were able to move off Buddy, whose contract was expiring, and then they added Pascal Siakam, who hopes to be here for the foreseeable
1: future. Now, didn't they? I had saw some reports that they also end up cutting or waiving uh, Joseph, if I'm not mistaken. Was that is that yes,
0: correct? That, yes, that is true, and that was last night. And uh, after doing so. As expected, they re-added James Johnson to a rest-of-season contract. His fourth deal with the franchise this season, he wasn't going to go anywhere, but for contract purposes, uh, he had to be waived three weeks ago for the Siakam deal. Then he signed two 10-day contracts. Now he's here for the rest of the year.
1: <laughs> Joseph's the one that got, got left out in the cold, man. He got <laughs> got traded and got cut on the same day, and the Pacers make $5.8 million, which is not a bad payday, I guess you could say, in all this.
0: Shannon, it gets... It gets even more interesting than that, right? Pacers hosted the Warriors last year. I know. Year. He was in Indy. Yeah. could have walked across the, <laughs> the hall at Greenbridge Fieldhouse to the other locker room. Nope, that didn't happen. Uh, I'm very curious. Did he? Did the Warriors give him a courtesy, say they're going home, hey, go ahead and join us on that flight home? Or did he take a flight home back commercially uh, last <laughs> year? Even, even, either way, he gets paid, which is great. But now he's kind of in limbo and looking for a new destination.
1: Yeah, he's gonna. I'm sure he's got a little bit of cash in his pocket, or at least I hope he does. I mean, that's he does, a, absolutely. that's the the crazy thing about the you know professional sports. You're one day you're a part of it, next day you're looking for another team because you've been cut or traded, and things <laughs> crazy happen. Now, Spurs, um, we got they got Doug McDermott from the Spurs, and I guess that's kind of an equal. Trade-off when you think of, okay, he kind of gives you a little bit of what Buddy did in that regard. And, of course, he's been a part of the Pacers organization once before.
0: Yeah, and that was a situation where when they thought they could really find a deal here for Buddy Heald, you really want to help you know fill that void a little bit. And, yes, that'll lead to more minutes for Benedict Mather, and that's the number one thing. You'll see Ben Shepard more in the lineup as well. Uh, who's more of a defensive guy, two-way player, four, after being a four-year rookie or year, uh, four-year player last year, I should say, at Belmont. Now he's a rookie that's really ahead of the curve because of all that. But with Doug, he, he played a short time in Dallas with Rick Carlisle already, shot his best numbers in that limited sample size, had good three seasons here in Indianapolis, then went to San Antonio purely to get paid and to learn under Greg Popovich. But he didn't win a lot of games, and his role deteriorated <laughs> a little bit as they prioritized the young guys. Right, uh, he was playing like 15 minutes per game, and so he'll come here. I think Benedict Mavin will see more minutes, uh, but Doug will be there. He's technically having a better shooting season, efficiency-wise, than Buddy Heald was. Right. But I don't get, I don't want fans, fans too often, I think, Shannon, get caught up in the numbers and what Buddy produces. Yeah. And so that was cool to see what Tyrese, T.J. McConnell, and other teammates came out and said in recent days. Hey, look. You guys need to understand his contributions. It's more than his points. It's more than a shooting percentage. It's how he opens up the floor. It's how him being a threat makes things easier for us in many things. So that's in large part also why you bring in a guy like Doug who's on an expiring deal. You could choose to re-sign him, or more more likely you'll choose to spend that money somewhere else.
1: Well, that, and then they, you know, they. I do believe they still have a second-round pick in all this, if I'm not mistaken. So, they're going to have an opportunity if they can hit the you know the right number there with bringing in a young player with that second round pick as we know how valuable uh, picks are in in today's game with all that of course and then like you said I mean he may be somebody that they move in the offseason for more picks uh, and all that my question now is how would you rate these moves that were made by the Pacers, does it? it do you see it as it being a helping hand, a something that ah, it's really a wash in the in the grand scheme of things? Uh, because here's the Pacers. I mean, uh, they're pushing it. I mean, I think what they're 29-20 in 20, 24. Now they lost to Golden State last night, which they shouldn't, but. Uh, Seth dropped 42 on him. But um, how how do you see this trade in overall uh, as it pertains to the Pacers? Yeah, taking
0: the trade deadline as a whole, I think it, it was a really good job by the front office because of Pascal Siakam, a player that has never chosen the Pacers in previous history. I still stand by David West, who was a great player, a franchise-type player. Came in, and he was the best free agent signing the Pacers have ever made, but he was coming off an ACL injury. Um, Pascal, this is kind of like one of those moves. It's, it's kind of the new term pre-agency over the last couple of years, Shannon. Uh-huh. And so that's what the Pacers were doing here, uh, and able to get a, ahead of it. And keep in mind, while the Pacers did not get a first-round pick that they were after for Buddy, they didn't give up a first-round pick for Pascal uh, um, in doing all of this. Or, or, excuse me, they didn't give up uh, anything more than just really a first-round pick and all that. Because, like, Bruce Brown was an unexpiring contract. Jordan Wara had fallen out of uh, flavor and, and, you know, had become deep on the depth chart here. So what the Pacers were able to get accomplished, I like the Pascal move. The buddy thing is going to hurt them this season and in the short term just because of the chemistry, the continuity, and what they had got uh-huh. accomplished. Uh, but this is about the long term is what Chad Buchanan emphasized last night in talking to us. That's what I'm writing right now for Fieldhouse Files is how much they want to take another step. But that's really going to come in the off season is their
1: hope yeah and hopefully they say, Play better defense at times,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been hit or miss this season. it I've has
1: hasn't it been it's really been inconsistent. I mean, and I guess you could say that over the last couple of years, that's kind of been one of those things uh, defense optional in some of these games you watch' them play. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, that's been the frustrating thing, and so while Buddy was not a great defender, he had gotten better at it. Um, and so maybe this helps a little bit in this department, but that's, that's not the overriding theme in all this. And to be clear, too, Buddy was kind of hoping for a change of scenery just because of how his role had diminished. Um, and being in Philadelphia, even if he stayed in Indiana, the one thing that should happen for him finally, after all these years at age 31, Shannon, is to be in the postseason for the first time in his career. So for that standpoint...
1: I'm happy for. Yeah, right. And that's you know sometimes when teams can accommodate guys like that that have treated your organization uh, right. and represented it the way he has over the years here, you know they try you know they get they try to get that all accomplished and done. You know there was a lot of different trades that kind of went on yesterday. One of them with the Grizzlies, they, they you know they they waived Olin depot Now he hasn't played all year. You know he's got a knee injury. Um, and then what were some other trades that kind of, you know, perked your interest from the standpoint of, hey, that was a pretty good move for them?
0: Yeah, the main one's got to be New York. The fact that they were able to go fill a need uh, with shooting and, and talent there with Alec Burks and Boyan Vigdanovich, the former Pacer, all without giving up a first-round pick and losing one of those assets that they have now in their cupboard still for this upcoming offseason when many expect for For the Knicks, rather, to be a big player in free agency, considering what they've accomplished and continue to do, uh, a little bit of a surprise team and from that respect. So New York's gotta be the number one thing, uh, in all that. They were a team also that was interested in Buddy Heald, uh, as well, I can note. Um, outside of that, it was, it it more turned into the deals that didn't get done. Yeah, right. We didn't see the Bulls do anything. The Hawks sat on their hands. Um, Charlotte moved on from Gordon Hayward, which was interesting. Um, so now he moves from one of the worst teams in the league to the top team in the Western Conference <laughs> presently in the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, so locally, that's a, a cool move, move of note. Clippers didn't any do doing didn't do anything to upgrade their roster. They've been on a roll right now, and the Lakers are not looking like contenders, and they didn't have much flexibility to tweak their roster at this point.
1: Well, sometimes it's the moves that you don't make that make a world of difference in any sports. But, Scott, appreciate you getting us all straight with all the different moving parts in this trade. Have a great weekend. Who you got for the Super Bowl? Are you a Niners or are you a uh, Chiefs?
0: Yeah, man, isn't that a tough one? I tend to lean on experience and superstars, and so that's why I, I have a hard time going against Patrick Mahomes right now. Uh, despite the impressive play and and overall team play that we've seen from the 49ers.
1: All righty. Scott, really appreciate you joining us here this uh, Friday afternoon. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. Thanks, Shannon.
1: Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files, fieldhousefiles.com. You can get all of Scott's information and what he has to say about the Pacers. And we're going to step aside and we're going to wrap up this Friday edition of the Sports Rush Right after this, here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. This is Purdue Fort Wayne Men's Basketball Coach John Hoffman, And you're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Go Dons! That's right. Go Dons with Coach Hoffman tomorrow against the Jaguars down in Indianapolis. Tip-off at 12 noon right here on 1380 The Fan with Mr. Brett Rump. Again tonight tip with Snyder at Bishop Lures. John Nolan on the call. Then over at the Pizza Hut, over in the Southgate Pizza Hut, for the post-game show, recap of everything that's going on in the Summit City and boys basketball. Remember tomorrow, Regionals, big games going on with Snyder, with homestead with lures all those involved Want a big thanks out to scott pierre out at the golf suites at mitchell sports bar of course as always mr dylan sim giving his insight on the iu purdue game as well as scott agnes from the fieldhouse files and his breakdown of the trade that we just occurred with the pacers thank him for his great insights thank you to mr adam lundy in the producer's chair
3: You bet. Hey, don't forget, at the uh, post-game show, we'll also have some T-shirts from Old Ford Baseball Company to give away.
1: Absolutely. A little swag going on tonight out there. Remember, comments tomorrow night on WoWo. Final game of the two-game state with a thunder. I am the coach, Shannon Griffith, and this has been the Sports Rush right here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Have a good weekend, everybody.